Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. It is early in the morning, Tuesday, January the 24th, 2023. And this is a special, unplanned, unscripted, last-minute podcast with Virginia Latora Jeeker, U.S. tax lawyer based in Dubai. And today we're going to discuss a decision or rather a non-decision that came from the United States Supreme Court yesterday where they denied the petition of Monica Toth, the effect that ruled that her FBAR penalty of $2 million on a $4 million account was unconstitutional because it violated the Eighth Amendment. For people who are interested in FBAR, justice foreign accounts, Americans abroad, or any combination of the above. I think this is this is an extremely important and significant case. What do you think? Do you agree, Virginia? Oh, yes. It's really right up there. And I think that people have to get ready now for an emboldened IRS imposing even you know, greater FBAR penalties than we've been seeing. Well, what is very clear is that the denial, the court's refusal to hear the case, uh, definitely will be interpreted as the court's refusal to, uh, you know, put a constitutional prohibition on these massive FBAR penalties. And uh, certainly, if I were in the business of issuing FBAR penalties, I would be very happy, very happy that no impediment uh, had been put in my place, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Absolutely, John. Now, we can't forget, though, that the the Supreme Court's denial of reviewing this case doesn't mean that a lower court, like a court of appeals or a district court, looking at an issue can say the opposite and say that, well, we believe this is governed by the excessive fines clause of the Eighth Amendment. So the Supreme Court didn't say that it doesn't apply. They just said, we're not going to review it. So maybe a lower court in the future can come up with its own opinion and say it is subject to the excessive fines clause. But right now we have the First Circuit saying it is not. The FBAR willful penalties are not subject to the excessive fines clause of the Constitution. And where do we go from there? I think that's what you and I will be discussing today. I think that's right. And, and Virginia, you make a extremely, an extremely important point here that the unwillingness of the court to hear and resolve the issue should not be interpreted as being equivalent to a decision that uh, the court de- the, the, that uh, there is no constitutional prohibition on the FBAR penalties, just that they're not willing to hear the case. And Justice Gorsuch, who was the only uh, justice who wrote anything about this in his dissent, uh, his dissent from the denial of the cert petition makes that point, makes that point. But we'll go to that a little bit later. In any case, uh, if I were the IRS, I certainly would be uh, more happy, I think, with the court's decision to not hear the case 
than had they made the decision to hear the case. Would you agree? Oh, yes. I think that's correct. Okay. So not good news for, uh, I think, people generally who are trying to live their lives uh, outside the United States and necessarily have bank accounts that are foreign to the United States. Let's go back to first principles here. I think that anybody who knows anything about FBAR would agree that Monica Toth, an 82-year-old grandmother in the Boston area who had a bunch of money in a bank account in Switzerland would be required to file an FBAR. Agreed? Absolutely. That's clear. All right. So starting from that point, all right, maybe you could briefly uh, take us through what's the penalty structure? What happens if you don't file the FBAR? Okay, so if you don't file your FBAR and your failure to file or comply with the FBAR rules is determined to be non-willful in the civil context, then the penalty would be $10,000 per violation. Now, we don't know what per violation actually means. Does it mean for that calendar year that your violation was per form? You didn't file a form 114 to report your accounts. Maybe you had 10 accounts. Or is the violation calculated on a per account basis, not a per form basis? That question, is being addressed by the United States Supreme Court in the case of Bittner. And we hopefully will be hearing a decision soon on that, whether the non-willful FBAR penalty is calculated on a per form or per account basis with the $10,000 being the, the, um, the base on which it's calculated. If your FBAR violation was willful, then we have a completely different penalty. The penalty there would be the greater of $100,000 or half the value of the account. So in the Toth case, Monica's account was over $4 million and half the value was somewhere around a $2 million penalty because they determined it was a willful violation. That's a separate issue because the determination of willfulness in her case was one of I've never seen before. It was not examining her behavior. It was not looking at did she um, intentionally violate the statute and not file or was she willfully blind or was she in reckless disregard of her duties? It did not look to her behavior at all. Instead, it was a court sanction using a special procedural rule under which the court can say, hey, we find as a matter of law certain facts without going into the factual background. And as a matter of law, under this rule, procedural rule, she was determined to have um, willfully not filed the FBAR. All right, so just pausing on that for a second, okay, I think that this is contextually very, very important. So what I'm understanding you to be saying is that in every other FBAR case, there is an actual assessment of the willfulness looking at the factors, okay? You know, the what I've seen, John. I've yeah. not seen any other 
Well, every every written decision I've seen as well. I mean, willfulness is is a question of fact that must be proven generally, I think, based on a preponderance of the evidence. Okay. But the point is it is a that it's the actual willfulness that needs to be proven as a question of fact. In this particular case, what the what the court did was precisely not that. Okay. It precisely did not weigh the factors to make a factual determination of willfulness. Rather, what it did was it said, Miss Toth, you've not been complying with our procedural rules properly, and we're going to punish you. And our punishment is, guess what? We've decided you're willful without even getting into a discussion of the facts surrounding your willfulness, right? Essentially correct, John. That is what happened. But I think we have to not to give listeners the idea that a court can just willy-nilly do this and say we're going to determine you were you were non-willful because you didn't follow our rules. Um, this was something that uh, was looked at very carefully by the courts in making this um, sanction effective against her. She was found to not be um, complying with the discovery requests. The requests went on for a number of years. She was not complying with them. When she finally did start complying, her answers were not um, good enough, shall I say. They were probably inadequate, uh, I believe was the term used by the courts. So before the court will apply this kind of sanction, I think they do need to find the, um, the taxpayer is engaging in somewhat egregious types of behavior. So I don't want listeners to think, wow, the court can just decide I'm non-willful because I didn't follow a procedural rule, you know, and get scared thinking, oh, it's like just as bad as you didn't file a form, you're going to be hit with a, <laughs> with a penalty. Um, it's not, it wasn't at least in Monica's case, Monica Toth's case, that simple. They, they really did seem to look carefully at what had gone on and determine that this was an appropriate sanction under the facts of her case. Well, they looked at what went on in terms of her failure to comply with the rules of court, I think, in the, uh, you know, in the, in the uh, lawsuit to collect the penalties, right? Which That's is right. It was the discovery. It was asking questions, her getting information to the, to the IRS um, as part of the discovery process for the case to proceed. And she was not cooperating. But the thing is this, right, that the sanction and the finding of non-willfulness, regardless of how well thought out it was and regardless of, uh, you know, the motivation, seems to me the fact is that this particular sanction decided the case, right? Because once... Absolutely. You, Absolutely. So, I don't know. You know my, question, my question would be, and I didn't see much of a fight on this, which disturbed me. My question would be, is this kind of finding sufficient to uphold a finding of willfulness when it's a substitute for any kind of examination of the facts underlying behavior? Right. Yeah. So that's what was disturbing to me. I don't want to, you know, get into, gee, was the court right or wrong to make this kind of procedural finding and, and hit her with this penalty. But my question is, is that enough is that substitute for willfulness enough to uphold a, an f-bar 
penalty. We've not seen that question posed or answered. And that's a question I would have. No, I think that's exactly right. And to put it another way, uh, when the when the case law makes very, very clear that willfulness is a question of fact, can willfulness ever be supported when there's been no re resolution of the question of fact? That's right. You know, I mean, it's like the whole thing is, you know, I find it incredibly, incredibly troubling. And it's very troubling because having this now kind of substitute for fact finding is a path that will certainly embolden the IRS. And who knows where they're going to go with that? We don't know what's next. And we've seen over time, I mean, John, you and I have been looking at FBAR cases for, you know, a decade, if not more. And more, my gosh. So we have seen the shift in the IRS attitude as to what will constitute willfulness and, gee, you know, what kind of uh, standard of proof do you need? Is it preponderance of the evidence? What is it? So we've seen over time how the courts and the IRS have made it easier and easier for NF bar win. And I think this is just another point in that direction. Well, I, I think it's clearly a point in that direction. Um, but I also, I'd like to drill back down a little bit on and some more of the, the factual context here. One of the things that, you know, there, there's two things going on, right? Uh, as Justice Gorsuch's dissent makes clear, the funds in the account uh, came from her father. Uh, the money was earned in Argentina, and the money in the account was never was it was never legally subject to U.S. taxation anyway, right? So this was not a case of you know somebody uh, earning income and hiding it that uh, was subject to U.S. taxation. Okay, this was money that was earned by her father. She received it as a gift, and I think that that uh, is a factor in in analyzing the overall context. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have to be reported. But I mean, this was not this was not money that was earned in the United States or earned by by a U.S. person who was subject to U.S. taxation. And the context a here appears to be this was one more Swiss bank account, right? Right. It wasn't just another account at UBS. Um, they, I think, another important factor here is that the father. Um, I don't know, was he a Holocaust survivor, but he was certainly involved in living in Europe during the time of Nazi Germany's. He was fleeing Nazi Germany. That, that That's is right. Clear. He was fleeing Nazi Germany. So, okay. So he made it out and went to Argentina and built up his life there. Um, when he made the gift to Monica, Monica was a U.S. person, I believe. And by the time this whole... FBAR mess rolled around, she was already in her 80s. So I think if you look at the taxpayer and the facts a little bit, you would you would say, well, you know, we should understand more as to what was in her mind, what was going on when she didn't comply with FBAR. I mean, this isn't, as you point out, this isn't your typical uh, Swiss bank case where somebody was earning money and trying to hide it. 
No, not um, at all. In fact, I think it's worth noting here that she did try to comply when she found out about the FR obligation. That's correct. And so, so my understanding of what happened was that in the context of her trying to comply with the FBAR, I mean, was she was also audited at the same time, and the result of the audit showed up some tax efficiencies, which resulted in, in the you know the slippery slope of the imposition of FBAR penalties. That's like right. That. That's right. She had um, she was filing the late FBARs, and one of the years was audited by the IRS, of course. Not by coincidence, it was the year 2007, which was the year Bradley Birkenfeld blew the whistle on UBS about Americans hiding funds abroad, and Miss Todd's account was at UBS. So they audited her for the year and found that uh, the IRS said, well, she willfully didn't comply with the FBAR and, and, and uh, uh, you know, issued the notice of whatever her penalty amount neither you nor I can know what goes on in the mind of, of the IRS but would you do you think it's a reasonable inference at this point that uh, undeclared accounts from the 2007 era at UBS are likely to be assumed to be willful it seems that way John the cases we've seen yeah, because I mean, we've seen. I think we've even talked about a series of these, a series of these cases. All That's right. Funny. So anyway, so here's the context. We so we've got this 82 year old grandmother in the Boston area who's been given four million dollars, probably her father's life savings, money that was never earned in the United States, therefore not subject to U.S. taxation. Uh, she tries to disclose it on an F bar. She's hit with a two million. Imagine this: a two million dollar. This is like this is you can't make this up. A two million dollar penalty, and uh, you know, then the, the district court in the Boston area says, "Oh well, you know, your sanction is that because you haven't gotten, a, you should have gotten a lawyer." I think clearly, uh, you know, to, to help her with this. I, I doubt very much the result would have been the same, but she didn't, and so the court is saying. Sanctions are the form of the sanctions. You're willful, and that's the end of it, right there. Right. You know. So, so then, of course, the thing proceeds through the courts, and now the argument becomes because we have the finding of willfulness. The argument becomes: Is this an excessive fine under the Eighth Amendment? Right. That's right. Is that what the right. language is? What's the language of the Eighth Amendment? Um. I don't have it to hand, but essentially, essentially, um, it's designed to stop penalties from being imposed that are just beyond what the what the um, what the error or mistake or whatever you want to call it. It's, it's just okay. that, okay? It's you know, it's that that you know, there has to be some basis of proportionality. That's right. You know, between the you know between the penalty and the conduct, right? And and this is is so outrageous, uh, at least in my view, uh, it's so outrageous that uh, 
you know, there were strong incentives to try to get the Supreme Court of the United States to take on a second FBAR case, namely whether the imposition of this $2 million penalty on a $4 million account balance uh, constituted a violation of the Eighth Amendment. Okay, and, and this has been an idea that uh, people who are concerned about FBAR have been flirting with for some years. Um, I mean, who are we to second guess the court? But do you think they should have taken this case on? I think it would have been great if they took it on. But they didn't. So we have what we have. I think it might be worthwhile to just point out, why did the First Circuit state that this fine was not, this penalty was not within the purview of the constitutional Eighth Amendment? excessive fines clause okay so, you know that might give and us a little bit of all right and your thoughts on that well it seemed to me that they said look this is a civil f-bar penalty and it's not tied to any kind of criminal sanction against uh, miss toth and the purpose of this penalty is a so-called remedial purpose as opposed to a punitive purpose. So this is a lot of semantics in a sense, but what the end result is, it seems is that if you don't have a punitive purpose behind your penalty, then the excessive fines clause just cannot apply to it. It just doesn't fit. Oh, well, Virginia, surely, surely you're of the opinion that uh, this was not an attempt to punish Ms. Toth, right? Ah. <laughs> well, if it walks like a duck, John, and talks like a duck, what do you think? Um, I think that Justice Marcius is right on here, okay? Uh, and what's interesting is that he, that he wrote a dissent from the denial of uh, cert here. That's right. And... You know, it's uh, it's a very good dissent because, I mean, he begins with the context of the thing and he explains basically that, you know, where the money came from, uh, you know, emphasizing, I emphasize, okay, that again, it had nothing to do with money that was taxable in the U.S., etc. Uh, then he goes on, uh, you know, then he goes on to basically make the case that the, uh, you know, that the, the, these courts are not correct. Uh, and he relies also on this uh, this brief from uh, Professor Beth Colgan uh, in California, who traced the history of all of this and says, "Come on, uh, you know, I mean, these courts are not applying uh, are, are not are not applying the facts here, the historical the historical facts, and that basically, uh, you know, there's no way that this stuff can escape Eighth Amendment scrutiny." That's correct. He said, "Just because there's." Um, supposedly only a remedial purpose here doesn't mean the Eighth Amendment excessive fines clause cannot apply to that. And he said as well, the idea that this is a non-punitive penalty, it's a contradiction in terms, really. Um, the, the government did not calculate her penalty with reference to any kind of losses that government suffered or expenses that it had to incur. 
the government imposed the penalty to punish her. So it is a punitive penalty. And then also that way by punishing her would deter other people from, you know, not filing an FBAR. Of course, so, do, you, do, you, do you believe, Virginia, that you could find a, any real person on the street anywhere in the world who, if these facts were described, then I would say, oh, no, no, God, no, that's not a penalty. I know, of course, of course, of course. So I think, John, at the end of the day, we are playing with words to a certain extent to come up with a decision that I don't know meets political agendas or or what, but it doesn't make to me it doesn't make logical sense. And I'm very glad that Justice Gorsuch gave us his dissenting opinion because I think going forward, when other courts may be faced with this question, they understand they are not precluded from coming to the a different conclusion. Yeah, I mean, I think he clearly, I think he clearly is inviting them to come to a different conclusion if they want, right? Yes, I would say. You know, I mean, it's really, it's really an amazing, uh, and, and I think very, very courageous uh, decision uh, that uh, dissent here that Justice Gorsuch is offering up. I mean. In this context, I mean, I just I sort of see him as an island of justice and sanity and, you know, what's become an ocean of just unfairness and injustice. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Thank God for Justice Gorsuch, you know, in this context. I mean, again, you know, it seems to me that what's happened here is that, you know, we've all become slaves to technical interpretations of law, right? At the, at the expense of common sense. I mean, do you think, just taking off your lawyer's hat for a minute, Virginia, all right, do you think Monica Toth should have been punished for this? Do I think Monica Toth should what? Should have been punished for this, for her conduct? Uh, certainly not willful. I, I have problems with that. Um, unless they can find reckless disregard, you know, digging into the facts. Um it just seems, look, from a, a human standpoint and taking off the lawyer hat, this is a hard one to swallow. It would choke anybody. Yeah. It would choke anybody who actually looked at what's going on. It's as though these laws have become an excuse to not look at what's going on anymore. <laughs> you know, right, it's, yes. it's totally unbelievable. You know, it's unbelievable. And, you know, this is the second time in the last year that I've seen Justice Gorsuch take this take this sort of uh, odd man out position. Uh, In the spring of 2022, in the Madero case, he wrote in his concurrence that the federal government could deny uh, social benefits to this man who had moved to Puerto Rico. Uh, He actually prefaces his decision with the following. I'm just going to read this in because, again, I think he's making the point that, you know, my God, the law is crazy. It's got to be overruled. But he says, a century ago in the Insular case, this court held the federal government could rule Puerto Rico and other territories largely without regard to the Constitution. 
right? In other words, if you live in Puerto Rico, you don't have the same constitutional rights. He goes mm -hmm. on, it's past time to acknowledge the gravity of this error and admit what we know to be true. The insular cases mm -hmm. have no foundation in the Constitution and rest instead on racial stereotypes. They deserve no place in our law. Isn't that bold? Very bold. Very bold. So let's hope that his boldness here in this talk dissent will give other courts some pause for thought before they come down and say the excessive fines clause doesn't apply to an FBAR penalty. Well, maybe, you know, maybe he's sort of, uh, sort of leading by example here. Uh, you know, sort of, sort of showing them what is possible. There's one thing that's clear is that this, this behavior, I mean, what this, this enforcement of FBAR and these penalties are just absolutely antithetical to any concepts of fairness and justice, I think. I mean, my God, there's all kinds of Americans abroad who don't even understand they have to file these things. Yeah. Very true. So they've got to get on the, they've got to get on the, right side of things. They've got to use, for example, the FBAR delinquent procedure. They've got to unfortunately learn and fix this mess up and then maybe consider giving up their U.S. citizenship if they're not. I think I think that this decision coming down yesterday is probably one of the best arguments for renunciation of U.S. citizenship there is. Well, it's certainly showing us the direction of the wave of the future. Well, it's showing us it's showing us the danger of being a U.S. citizen. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, th I think to put it very simply here, I mean, this stuff, I mean, part of the reason that they get away with this is because it's so outrageous that nobody believes it's true. They think you're kidding. I know. I know. Anywho. Well, any final thoughts on this? I mean, it's, uh, I mean, do you, do you, I gather that you share my shock and horror over all this. Yes, I was very unhappy with the result here. But as I say, let's not forget that the other courts do have an opportunity to come down and say that excessive fines clause does apply. Um, hopefully, the dissenting opinion. We'll give them some pause for thought before they reach their decision on the next case that comes to light. Well, we and we of course we have the Bidner case, which will be coming down soon. And uh, you know, for those who heard the transcript of the oral argument of the Supreme Court, uh, again, uh, Justice Gorsuch, uh, you know, I think made a very meaningful contribution, played a very meaningful role in that. Do, do you agree? Yes, he did very well questioning. So uh, who knows? Who knows? But we'll be on top of it, keeping everybody informed. Right. We're the FBAR reporters. We certainly are. The FBAR and, News. Yeah, the FBAR News. And I think um, we go pretty deep into the uh, behind the scenes, what's going on. 
We don't oh, just give them. We got a lot of posts and a lot of podcasts on this. Maybe we should organize them all into a separate, you know, completely separate, you know, portal or something like that. But this stuff's really amazing. I mean, yeah, who could have man? You're welcome to go to my blog. I have this whole separate category on FBAR. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's great stuff. I, you know, I highly recommend it. Who could have known, though? In 1970, when Mr. F. Barr was born, that he would grow into this. Ah, good point. Good point. That's right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right, Virginia. Well, thanks for speaking with me so early in the morning. Uh, well, early in the morning for me. I guess it's later in the day for you. Yep. Any final thoughts? No, I think um, we'll be blogging on it soon and we can get readers um, more involved as opposed to just listening to a podcast. They can click hyperlinks. They can read the dissenting opinion. They can read the First Circuit opinion. Who knows? Um, Some of them might even file an F bar because of all this, too. <laughs> well, it behooves them to get it done, honestly. Well, given these kinds of penalties, it sure does, yeah. Yeah. All right, Virginia, thank you very much as always. And I look forward to connecting with you again on these things soon. Thanks, John. People who want to read the FBAR category on my blog can simply go to www.us-tax.org and they will find lots of interesting things there. Yeah, great blog, highly recommended. Been reading Virginia's blog for years and years. Thanks, John. All right. Thank, actually, I, I, as I've often said, Virginia, I see you as the world's most renowned F-barologist. <laughs> certainly, certainly the world needs more F-barologists. You know, I mean, there are law schools that have, that have the world does, yeah? Sorry? Unfortunately, the world does. Certainly does. I mean, you know, certain law schools, I think, have LLM programs with whistleblowers. Maybe it's time to create an LLM, a Master's of Law in FBAR. What do you think? <laughs> Imagine doing a year's study of Mr. FBAR. Well, you could easily. Absolutely. I think you could. Absolutely. All, All right. right. All right, John. Thanks again.